Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. The second half of these interviews are reserved for patrons only. If you like this show, visit my website, pryingpriest.com, for more content and to learn how you can become a patron of the show. Enjoy the first half of this interview. Welcome, Martinez Galenci, to the Prime Priest Podcast. Thanks. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> it has been. See, you're the media guy in the family. I do yeah. podcasts, but you actually had a media show. You had a media company. Yep. No more. No, no more. more. Into the real estate game. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this show is about exploring why people believe what they do, but not so much like the... Not so much the intellectual side or like trying to defend something theologically or philosophically, but more so like how the people around you have influenced you and things like that. And I know you grew up in a in a missionary family. Some of our some of my guests have grown up in missionary families. And that's I mean, maybe that's a good place to start is to well, no, actually what we always do here is how do you know me? <laughs> You're my brother-in-law. <laughs> that is true. We've known each other a long time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when when we first met, uh I would have been in grade 11. I don't know how old that would have made you offhand right now, but I remember you were quite young. You were grade school and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you looked a little bit different than you do now. Yeah. yeah. Didn't, you didn't have a beard? No beard, no, uh, mature sense of, um, stunning style. No, same voice though. Yeah. No, <laughs> just as low. Yeah. No, that, so I've, I've, yeah, I guess I've known you for, uh, for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. So you married my sister back in 2012. 12. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that means I've known you for about 22 years. Right. Because you, 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 both of you started dating in high school. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there was, it was on and off, on again, off again, but you dated, oh, yes. you were dating in high school. I, yeah. I remember you coming over for the first time actually. Yeah. And I was, of course, I wanted all the attention on myself and everything. And there's <laughs> this new person in the house. Right. So I had to like act out and everything. Yeah. But, um, well, it's funny. Yeah. But okay, so now that's how we know each other. But now we can go back to maybe what I guess uh, a general question would be what was religion like in the home growing up for you? Yeah. Um it's a big question. Mm -hmm. Um uh well one so one thing I guess I mean you said missionary family they were they weren't really missionaries per se. My dad was uh, involved in in uh, uh Christian world uh, world missions, which, uh, has since been, since been renamed, but, um, he was involved in that and they did a year abroad. Uh, he took a sabbatical and my mom taught at a school in, in Port-au-Prince in Haiti. Uh, but that was after I moved out of the house. And so it was really <clears throat> primarily my dad. Um, I, I grew up in a pastor's household, much like you. And so, mm -hmm. so my father was a, a Christian form church minister. Um, the Christian form church is a denomination within I mean, when you talk to people here in, in Canada, it's like, oh, the Dutch Reformed. It's not Dutch Reformed, um, but within the Dutch Calvinist uh, tradition. So mm -hmm. within that that big circle. And there are all sorts of denominations under that umbrella. Netherlands Reformed, Canadian Reformed, mm -hmm. Free Reformed, um, 
United Reformed, Christian Reformed. Just a lot of reform, reforms going There's on. There's actually one denomination just called the Reformed Church um, as well. And, and all of those are generally within the, within the uh, Dutch Calvinist uh, background. So anyway, so um, the Christian Reformed Church is sort of one of the more, uh, if not the most, actually, uh, liberal, and I use that term very carefully, um, denomination within that within that spectrum of all the Dutch Reformed <laughs> denominations. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, that said, it was still, um, you know, by by general society standards, you know, quite quite conservative and quite religious and quite mm-hmm. devout, and so. Um, and so, you know, my father being a pastor, uh, you know, our lifestyle was quite specifically Christian reformed. Um, and so, you know, the reformed idea is, is really the reformed philosophy is really that, um, you know, all of life is, is, uh, influenced or, or, or lived under uh, faith or lived as a result of your faith. And so, there's no aspect of your life that isn't in some way affected by or related to your faith or informed by it. So, so really, um, you know, it's hard to separate, um, you know, what the role that faith played in my life or my Christianity played in my life growing up, because that simply was, that was the air we breathed. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I guess when you say, okay, well here, when people think of um, missionary, whatever, I think they they might think one of two things. One is going and building some orphanages in another in another country, sure, yeah. and the other one is knocking door to door and saying, "Have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ?" And I'm wondering if you could sort of reflect on does that match what your experience was of because you've lived in a couple of different places mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and experienced a couple of different cultures. And I'm sure you've interacted with in those contexts, different kinds of Christianities. And uh, yeah, could you reflect a little bit on, on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, we were, you know, like my parents, when they went abroad, they did work with a, with a, you know, mission organization, which was more of, um, in some ways, almost more of like a development, international development or aid agency in some ways, community development agency. Um, but really the, the, you know, the, the approach the Christian Reformed Church took to missions and, um, evangelism, even in the context of, you know, just daily life in North America, it was, uh, it was not, not, um, you know, door knocking or, or, uh, canvassing or handing out tracts or anything like that. It was very, um, you know, more, more along the lines of they'll know we're Christians by our love. And so it was more of a, it was more, Zoya, don't, don't, t- that's a microphone. We're, we're joined by uh, Martinez's uh, <laughs> oldest child, Zoya. Hello, Zoya. Hey, buggy. Um, okay. We're just recording something right now. Okay. So we gotta be quiet. So, so yeah, so like life, life was lived, you know, ultimately, and, and, you know, the, the philosophy is, is that, you know, life is lived to the glory of God and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, by being, by being a presence in the world and by being an agent of renewal, um, you know, in, in the priesthood of all believers, by also being an image bearer, and, and, you know, in some ways, a, a priest, a lay priest mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, you know, you, you live an ongoing witness to the gospel and you live an ongoing witness to, um, to the gift of salvation. And so that permeates every fiber of your life. And so while you're not necessarily handing out tracts um, or, or even just striking up conversations with people, uh, but, well, you know, tell me, uh, 
oh, what do you know about heaven or anything that yeah. like that and just if you died tonight yeah right? that was like that's a, not a thing you know but but um you know living living the example of Jesus Christ to other people being someone who um you know who who lives as a reflection of that example um really was was the idea of of you know kind of a poor way of saying it but you know that was that was our mission calling right in some right. ways yeah and i guess when you were when you reflect on being like a, a, a kid in that household um what was what did you understand about your faith at that point in your life yeah um I, nothing really i mean <laughs> just mm -hmm. It was just that's how the world was, you know, mm -hmm. and, and uh, it took a long time until obviously I was a lot older when I started realizing that, you know, different people believe different things and different cultures and faiths and religions and, and political views and ideologies and all these different things exist. Um, I mean, as a small kid, you know, we had to go to church on Sunday and that was annoying. Mm -hmm. And did you ever fight school. it? Oh, all the time. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we always we always lived next to the church. Yeah. <laughs> So it wasn't very easy to get out of going to church when, you know, we lived a hundred meters from the front door of church. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to go to church. Uh, we had to go to church in the morning and usually in the evening on Sundays as well. We didn't do weekly services or uh, during the week services, you know, like Wednesday nights. Or that why, why on Sunday evening? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that just there <laughs> more was, church. There was, yeah, exactly. There was a morning service and an evening service and there was no real effective difference between between them mm -hmm. um i mean more people came in the morning uh mm -hmm. you know the evening morning church was full mm -hmm. the evenings the church would have you know depending on the congregation very very few people but yeah it's but so really interesting like i really find it interesting that some people grow up in a con like grow up like a lot of kids grow up having to go to church yeah. and some are like well i liked it because i was doing this 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 some were like i just went and didn't complain yeah and then others are like, well, I didn't really like going, but putting up a fight was like too much work. Yeah. So I would just go. And then some are like, I put up, you know, I'm going to put up a fight every single yeah. Sunday. Yeah. I just find that so interesting. And then, I mean, and and that is not necessarily a predictor of how people end up, like what their relationship with the church ends up being either. I yeah, I find it's almost the opposite. Mm. Um, you know, I, as a, as a little kid, I hated going to church. Um, and I would, you know, I mean, probably most of the time I protested. I don't remember. My parents might have a different recollection of this, but, you know, I, I protested and I didn't want to go and, you know, but, but it was an inevitability. We had to go. And so we kind of just made your piece of it. We ate our King peppermint, you know, every church service, we got one peppermint in the middle of the service. Um, but then a lot of my, a lot of my friends, you know, didn't really seem to care that much about it. And mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe that was just a perception I had, but. Even so, and then, you know, through high school and later on, then I actually didn't mind church. And especially, you know, when I had a girlfriend, then it was kind of exciting to go to church with your girlfriend because mm. then that was like a big, that was kind of a rite of passage, you know? Of course, and, yeah. Um, you know, and then and then later on in university, then I, I actually got into leading worship and and everything as well. <clears throat> and then, and then uh, you know, eventually it stopped going to church. And so, <laughs> but a lot of the people who, you know, throughout the years were the ones who kind of, didn't seem as engaged or whatever you know now i see them on facebook and they've got um in many ways they're living a lot of the life that i grew up having you know the mm -hmm. the, the the in large part uh, rural christian reformed church you know several kids 
church on Sunday, Facebook post about how good God's grace is in their life and everything like that, right? And it's just like, mm. where were you guys growing up? Like, you guys didn't give a rip, you know? And then and I cared. And now we've, like, you know, we've, right. we've changed places. Right. I wouldn't say I don't give a rip, but. Right. You know. Um. So, okay, here's a, here's a question. Um, I'm interested in like the way that different people have grown up experiencing prayer, right? So I grew up in a context in which prayer would happen kind of nightly. My dad would call us and we'd do prayer in front of the icons or whatever. And it was always recited prayers, like the same prayers. Because Nina always had to get off the phone with me and yep. go do prayers yep. and it drove me crazy could be like a tuesday <laughs> evening and be like why we're talking yeah. <laughs> it's like jesus wrote us on a sunday why are you you know yeah. you don't have to pray on tuesday exactly. night um so yeah what was your experience of prayer um not in terms of ch- in church prayer but like outside of church in home or whatever when you were younger yeah <clears throat> um well it was it was a yeah, when you're a little, a really little kid, it's it's you know, Lord bless this food for Jesus' sake, Amen, or mm-hmm. now I lay me down to sleep, or mm-hmm. or whatever you know, kind of your your rote prayers that you, you quickly rattle off so you can get mom and dad out of the room when you're going to bed and go back to playing or doing whatever you're doing, or you know, so you can get to your food at dinner time. Um, as I got older, uh, prayer really became a lot more of a, a personal exercise and and a conversation. And to this day, I would say it still is, you know, I, I, I very much still pray. And, and, um, I mean, like everyone else, I think I pray every time an airplane takes off when I'm on it and you know, that, that sort of thing. But, I, but I also pray just sometimes just conversationally. Um, actually, interesting enough, the influence that your family had on me was, uh, was kind of the exposure to, to the Orthodox approach to prayer. Um, because, you know, growing up in the Christian form church has the evangelical, a little bit of the evangelical tradition where it's, you know, you, you can approach Jesus Christ directly and you, you have conversation with your Lord and savior. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in some ways emphasized. Um, and uh, you know, that, I think that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. The, what orthodoxy taught me and my, my exposure to orthodoxy was kind of the ongoing, you know, meditative practices and, and the, the rote prayers and some of the but diff- different ways of praying and and um, and that that was kind of interesting. And so in university, I explored that a lot more, a lot more of the orthodoxy. I attended orthodox churches and that, that sort of thing then too. What do you think? We'll get to the whole orthodoxy thing because there's a lot of fun stories there, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but let's stay on the topic of prayer for now. What do you think prayer does for people? Uh, I'm not sure it's, I mean, I, I just strictly on a, you know, physiological basis, it, it focuses your mind, it uh, calms you, it uh, generally, you know, decreases the chatter in your brain. Uh, the same thing as meditation, you know, it's, it's a direct, it's a directed thought process or thought pattern. Um, you know, effectively, yeah, you know, as a as a as a Christian, you would say prayer. Prayer is it has effect. You can you you pray for things. You pray for the forgiveness of sins. Um, you you thank God for providing for you or or uh, whatever. Um, or you you pray for healing uh, for illnesses. Or you pray that the airplane doesn't crash. Um, 
I, th- I think it has different effects for everybody. And it, I think in some ways, how you view the efficacy of prayer is directly related to how you practice or believe mm-hmm. religiously or in, you know, in terms of faith. No, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, okay. Let's get to Orthodox stuff. So you, I guess was, was interacting with my family, sort of the first interaction you had. Oh, well, was that one of the first interactions you had with like other Christians or did you have interactions with maybe Catholic or Anglican or, or other types of Protestant Christians before that? Yeah, no, we, that was the first interaction with orthodoxy for sure. Um, not my first interaction with other denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we would travel in the summers, we would vacation all over the place and camp in remote places. And, you know, we'd always go to different churches then. I mean, it was as a, as a child of a pastor, we generally didn't, you know, go to all different churches because, you know, dad would be preaching on Sundays and mom would be playing the organ. And so we would be clearly at our home church. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we were on vacation or that sort of thing, then we would, um, we'd go all over the place and we'd try Anglican churches and Baptist churches and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was always fascinating because they were generally way up in Northern Ontario and had an average attendance of eight, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then of course, well, that, I guess that was later on. I'm just thinking, yeah, no, that this this was definitely my first exposure to orthodoxy and definitely the most dramatically different denomination um, mm-hmm. that I'd ever been exposed and to. And I guess like the fact that you were interested in a girl whose dad was an orthodox priest made <laughs> it more intense as well. Because if yeah. you had, like, let's say her father wasn't a priest and was just like sort of nominally orthodox, so we go to church once a month or a couple times a year, that that would be itself even a drastically different experience of orthodoxy than it would be than having a you know a priest uh, <laughs> well and i'm sure he'll listen at some point but there's nothing nominally orthodox about your father <laughs> right right <laughs> so yeah i mean it's it's not just that you know i dated an orthodox girl and and brushed up against orthodoxy um you know getting involved with that uh, with your family is a is a you know full body immersion in orthodoxy mm-hmm yeah, it kind of is. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is what it is. I thought it was great. I mean, you know, I remember a lot of conversations I, I had with your father. I mean, even when, when uh, you know, he would drive us around because I barely had my driver's license when we were dating at first, but he would, you know, pick us up in the in the black Corolla. And we, I remember all kinds of conversations that we had about differences between denominations and, and a lot of, he was very interested, I think, in, in talking with someone in the CRC and in, in the Christian Farm Church and, and you know, comparing ideas or practices or different things. And so we had lots of good conversations. So it was, it was actually kind of neat to, to get that full body immersion. There's a correction there. It was dark green Toyota Corolla. So I'm colorblind. So to me it was black. <laughs> actually, it could have been the, the black Camry. No, it was the Corolla. It was the it's Corolla. The yeah. Cause yeah. that's the car that I inherited yes. after my brother had inherited it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Went on my first date with Nikaila in that car. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Has a lot of uh, family history. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or- orthodoxy. Like you got married in an Orthodox church. Yeah. Yeah. You've. This is an interesting thing about the Orthodox church is that a lot of people might know that we don't give the sacraments to people who are not Orthodox. That's true. But that's a lie because we marry people who aren't. Like you are yes. not Orthodox, but you actually receive the sacrament of holy matrimony That's right. in the Orthodox Church. Yeah. Um, and if I died, I'd probably get a funeral. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know how we'll that see. works. But. I don't think you technically would be allowed to get a funeral, but uh, oh, okay. we'll make you a catechumen before. So you don't even have to. Catechumens are the people who are like, let's say, engaged to become Orthodox, but have not yet become Orthodox. Right. But they've committed like, okay, we're going to, or like they're dating the church. So it's like conditionally sold. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, if they die, they get an Orthodox funeral, even though they have not yet fully entered the Orthodox oh, okay. church. Okay. I'll buy um, one of those packages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's in our... Um, neophyte package (laughs) (laughs) so i don't know i'm I'm interested in some of the well before we maybe get into some of the philosophy theology of orthodox whatever it would be interesting to hear maybe some stories of what it was like to encounter Orthodox. like obviously you had these conversations with my dad but is that sort of where your interaction with orthodox was that the extent of your interaction with orthodoxy at that time or like, did you, and I don't even remember if you ever came to church with, with yeah. our family or anything. Yeah. Actually the first time, oh, Nina would probably correct me on this, but I think it was the first time I ever went to your house was actually, um, Easter Sunday. Oh, okay. That's going to be a party. The afternoon of Easter Sunday. Yeah. And, uh, I remember, you know, I mean, so in addition to being, you know, uh, Christian reformed and growing up in the Dutch Calvinist background, um, you know, I grew up in the Dutch frugality and, and way of eating as well. Mm-hmm. And so when we do have meat, it's typically cooked to saddle leather consistency. Mm-hmm. And that's super rare that we have meat in the first place. Um, and and when it's cooked to saddle leather consistency, it's pretty small. Like mm-hmm. the portions are small, lots of potatoes, basic meals, healthy meals, mm-hmm. you know, but but meat and, and anything fatty. And so it's just not really part of the diet, mm-hmm. you know. So and not and we didn't we were not particularly affluent growing up at all like we we uh we we lived quite modestly and so um so we weren't at restaurants a lot and so my whole my culinary palate was quite basic mm-hmm. let's put it that way so then i go to vespers on easter sunday right at your ukrainian partially greek household so I go for the service itself, which I thought was beautiful, but quite confusing. And it, it's nice and short, though. That it one? was short. Yeah. Yes. Which is one of the shortest services of the year. Yes. Nina always would sell me on it saying, don't worry. I know it's church, but it's only about 15 minutes. It was always 30 minutes mm-hmm. or upwards of 20 at least. But anyway, she still to this day insists that Vespers is 15 minutes. It's an ongoing marital dispute we have. But Anyway, and so then, so I went there, was confused, I had to follow through this booklet, and then people are sitting, and then we were standing and sitting and sitting and standing and standing and sitting and sitting and standing, and I just, like, this is bizarre to me, and um, and nobody really seemed to show up, like, it was a huge auditorium, and I think there might have been 20 people in the building or but something. the building could probably seat, well, that morning would have been East, the Easter Sunday yes, morning. right. That would have been... Um, you, like over 500 people like yeah, the, the yeah. whole thing yeah, like it's full to the brim in, yeah. the, in the morning right yeah. but like no one's coming back for the afternoon service on easter everyone's no staying home. it was absolutely vacant and yeah. i just kept wondering when people were going to show up for this church service and then and then you know the 15 minutes slash 30 minutes were up and that was that and then we all hopped into the crawl and the other vehicles and up the uh, up the mountain we went to your house where this at that point you know, 15, 16 year old Dutch kid saw more meat than the previous 15 years of his life combined. Oh like yeah. I, yeah. you know, that's why I prefaced about my culinary palate. Like I just could not believe the food that I saw coming out and, and, and it was just like this feast. Right. And it was so foreign to me. So, and that was always kind of, 
linked with my, you know, exposure to orthodoxy in your family was just the the other side of it, the cultural side too. Well, I mean, when we fast, we fast, yeah. but when we feast, we feast. We eat. Oh yeah. It sounds like your family had a nice even keel throughout the year. Yeah. We would be like, no meat, no dairy, don't eat a lot for like 57 days. Yeah. And then just eat so much meat that you wish yeah. you weren't alive. Yeah. I had for a Cheerios for breakfast, uh, a sandwich for lunch and some sort of, you know, starch, protein, vegetable kind of combination, like minimal uh, every day of the week for 18 years when I lived at home. Mm. It was just totally consistent. So if I was, you know, if my 16 year old self started, went to a different kind of church and experienced something different than what I was used to, my emotional and gut reaction would be to to point out all the reasons why that's wrong. Yeah. Why, why they're wrong. Right. 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 Theological or whatever it might be. So I would sort of maybe have a, a defensive posture sure. in a context like that. You never seem like a person who gets that defensive posture in those contexts, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you did. I just don't remember in that time, but then you've kind of matured into it. I don't know. Do you want to reflect a little bit about that? Yeah, actually, that's a good observation. Uh, that's an interesting point because I think I had very defensive or uh, offensive postures when encountering other evangelical uh, denominations or even going to other churches within the CRC, you know, kind of like, well, you know, that should be done this way or, or, or you know, that sort of thing. But orthodoxy was so radically different that I almost didn't know where to start. It's very hard to criticize something you don't understand at all, mm. you know, because you don't know if they're doing it right or bad or good or, you know, could be better. And half the time it was in Ukrainian. So I didn't know what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but further to that, I also really liked this girl, right? Right. So you you can't offend the no uh, I you can't know, offend the faith that's right well and and you know and she was she was exciting and and uh, everything that came along with her was exciting and different and interesting and and so um, and also so culturally connected too I mean so so much of you know just like just like for me at the beginning of the podcast you asked about growing up like that and so much of how I grew up was connected to my faith so and culture and so much of how you grew up was connected to your faith and culture too it's all it's all related and so. It uh, it sort of had that escort um, into my life of of this is something interesting and exciting and you're you know you're you're meeting this girl and getting to know her but by extension you're also learning a culture and and learning a faith tradition as well. How serious? Like I know that if you have a pastor for a dad, the question inevitably comes up about <laughs> like you know like like I always tell people well I've I fo- I've followed in the family business right <laughs> it's yeah. a Pladio and Sons yes um. And like, I know that that's obviously something that's, that you've thought about at some point in your life. Cause yeah. I know you went to Calvin college, is University, that the name? Yeah. Calvin, Calvin University. University. Yeah, changed the designation. In, um, <clears throat> in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, but you know, have you, how serious did you consider going into Christian ministry? Very, very seriously. Um, I was actually in my. Uh, final year, I was final year at university and I had done a music major and I had done a communications major and I'd done an international development minor and none of those things really present an immediate job opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so, and actually I was, um, at the time I was a music director at a reform church, the reform church of Byron center in, uh, in Michigan for two years by this point when I was coming towards my graduation. And I think it was it was the fall of my final year because um, 
I, I know I was weighing it then and had been talking to people from the seminary and some of the professors had from the seminary had actually reached out to me, mm-hmm. invited me for coffee and wanted to, you know, yeah. talk about my future. And the idea is that you would graduate with your undergrad and then go to a seminary for your, that's right. For your master's or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So complete the, the bachelor's and then, and then do a, a master of divinity at Calvin theological seminary and then go into our ministry right. from there. So, and I really considered it. Like I really, I actually did a, um, uh, I was I was uh, part of various uh, mentoring and, and fellowship programs in the study of worship and 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 that sort of thing and and so I was really into that and uh, but but also really struggling with it like really struggling a lot with just with my own faith and and with all this stuff but at the same time it just felt so kind of natural and easy and like almost like an obvious next step right um, and you know I should add that you know that that was what my dad did I me mean, my dad christian reformed church minister my father's father is a christian reformed church minister my mother's father was a christian reformed church minister mm-hmm. my father's brother was a christian reformed church so you got minister. good pedigree yeah and i had one of my cousins was was also going to go to seminary as well at that point and and so it, like it was really like talking about the family business it was mm-hmm. like the family business mm-hmm. so it seemed very obvious and natural um but then i remember i was wrestling with it and then i went home uh, well, home. I, I flew to um, at the time my family lived in British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Flew back to Vancouver for uh, for Christmas break uh, from Michigan, and and every year our dad would give us the, what they call these miscellaneous boxes, and they mm-hmm. would just be the final present of Christmas. Everyone, right. you know, we all get a couple presents, and the final thing he gave us would be this box with a whole bunch of odds and ends, and it could be like like little stuff, but just things that he had found that were meaningful to each individual kid in the family, and. And it was, oh, we always looked forward to that. And he'd often include a letter in that miscellaneous box about whatever, you know, whatever we were going through at, in our lives at the time or whatever, just a note of encouragement or whatever. Anyway, so he had, he had written in that miscellaneous box, he'd written a letter to me and he said, I, I still have it. I kept it. Um, it, it. This letter literally changed the course of my life, actually, because in there he said, you know, I know you're contemplating going into the ministry. I know you're also contemplating going into media and and stuff which obviously is where i went but um and you know he used the quote from uh from this children's story we used to have about beethoven ludwig beethoven the composer you know he said you know beethoven believed that music could change the world and i see that you believe that you can change the world through other things than ministry basically i'm paraphrasing but and so so he said, he's like, don't feel any obligation to do this. Don't do that. You can, you can be an agent of renewal. You can, um, you can do great things. You could change the world in other ways. And so follow what you're truly passionate about and follow what you're truly called to do. And, uh, and I did after that, I, I got back to school in early January after Christmas and that was it. I immediately changed my plans. Well, changed my plan. I formulated my plans. Um, to leave Michigan and to not do Calvin. And I had actually started, the, I had started the application process and everything and I abandoned the whole thing. And that was it. I went into media. I mean, that, 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 um, that approach that your father had in that letter is so in keeping with how you started the podcast about what it means to actually like live out your faith in everyday life or like you know there's there's no real disconnect between the way that you behave in life and and your faith yeah so to be able to say no matter like you don't have to have a formal christian title on your name in order to like behave 
good in the world or yeah. anything like that. Like you can yeah. do this in any context that you go into. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to ask one more question in the live, in the public podcast. Sure. Yeah. But then we're going to go into the private podcast after that. And if you're listening to this and you are not a patron of the show, you're only getting half a podcast. You're only getting half this interview. And I'm saving all the good stuff for this. Exactly. Well, there's a story that I want you to tell, which is the story of <laughs> the, your first experience at an Orthodox baptism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and let me tell you, that one's a wild one. But we're going to save that for the private podcast. That's yeah. our teaser. Yeah. Um, so if you want to become a patron and support the show, and you'll get access to not only this, the second half of this interview but you'll get the, all of the extended interviews backlogged there's 30, 30 plus interviews that you'll get access to immediately um so you can go to pryingpriest.com slash support or patreon.com slash pryingpriest there you go <laughs> so many words um okay to take us to the end of the public side though here's a here's a i always say this i said this is going to be like a meme of me someday here's a fun question um where have you found the most um, the most feeling of transcendence or meaning in your life that isn't from a place of like uh, a faith-based place or like a Christian thing or, or anything like that? Whew. That is a tough one. Um, I wouldn't say that there's any one... I wouldn't say there's any one place. I mean, I'd say, yeah, you know, so, okay. So there's a quote, I'll try to make this quick, but there's a quote. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from Frederick Buechner. And he says, you're, you're something to the fact that uh, your place in this world or where you belong in this world is where your deep gladness and the needs of the world meet. And, and that has always kind of been my touchstone for, you know, am I doing what I should be doing or not? So I think about that a lot. And I think there are two, two areas where I feel um, the most that I'm at that intersection and therefore the most, I would say, you know, whether it's transcendent or connected or, you know, on, on my mark. Um, the first one is um, as a parent, you know, when, uh, when Zoya, uh, my daughter was born, um, the holding her and seeing my, my, child for the first time like that was a absolutely life-changing experience there's nothing that prepares you for that um so that i mean that would be one is just is just being a parent and being with my kids and, and parenting my kids there's it's such a specific and direct calling and it's so obvious where you're supposed to be um that's the first one. Second one is generally in the whole space that i'm sort of in right now actually in real estate um it, it's this incredible confluence of all of my interests and passions and skills and connections and everything, just everything in my life. Somehow, just it's this maelstrom, this perfect storm that just sort of seems to connect and, and uh, it just makes sense. And I, there's no, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that I'm where I'm supposed to be. You've just finished listening to the first half of this interview. Find out how to access the second half by visiting my website, pryingpriest.com. We'll see you next time. Say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?